Coming up on the Money Beat Podcast, the sometimes abstract world of the Forex market has become a grocery shelf issue in the UK with a fight over Marmite. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Money Beat Podcast on a Tuesday in New York City. Paul and Stephen in the studio with our dear friend, Katie Byrne. Katie, how are you? I'm fabulous. And you, you are, you've, or you've jumped the gun on this podcast a little up. bit. We'll tell yeah. you why in a I'm second. I'm so fired up. And uh, on the phone, we have Sabra Chaudhry and Mike Bird calling from overseas. How are you, folks? Very well. well. Thank you. And, and what we want to talk about today, folks, is sometimes... Food and markets collide. And mar- so sometimes, sometimes when we talk about these things that we discuss in the markets, they can seem sort of abstract. Uh, you know, the dollars up, the dollars down, the pounds. But sometimes you get a, a very good example, a very good real world example of how changes in prices affect certain things. And in the case of the British pound and the United Kingdom and a product called Marmite, we have. <laughs> Come upon what is what is almost a, a, a perfect. Oh, and I also want to go like I, I want to you know drop this to Sabra who's been covering this who can explain to us yes. what is going on. So, so what we're doing today, folks, is we've got Sabra and Mike on because they are they are experts on the, what is going on in the world of Marmite in the British pound and can explain it. And we have because we love you so much and we know that this really interests you. Uh, we got some Marmite here in the studio. We have and two pots of Marmite. We have two uh, pots of Marmite. I'd also like to point out this is a long history of the Money Beat team doing intrepid reporting. Yes. Paul, Paul before has ate three or tried to eat three pounds well, of cheese. Well, it wasn't me alone, but yes, yes. We tried to eat he cheese. Then, he then drank nine-year-old we coffee. We went to Brooklyn for coffee. Yes, this is our, our continuing series we of- We still don't know if Paul's going to actually eat this piece I'm going to eat it. The smell is driving The smell is driving Yeah, I, I have never had more Mike before. I'm fascinated by it. I'm very Your interested in extract. it. Yeast extract. Yeast extract. Oof. Mm-hmm. But let, 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 <laughs> let, so let's let's explain what's going on yes. with the pound and marmite. Yes. Okay. Uh, so yeah. I'm I'm going to jump in here, guys, and, and Thank you. break you off. Um, so everybody knows the pound is down a lot since Brexit. I think last count it was about 19 percent. And what's basically happened is uh, earlier, well, I guess it was the end of last week. Now there was a fight that spilled into the public between two of Britain's biggest companies, our biggest consumer good company, which is Unilever, which makes Smartlight, and then Tesco, which is Britain's biggest retailer. Um, it's kind of like Walmart. It's enormous, um, and it's, it's a grocer. And what happened was Unilever wanted Tesco to push through price increases because it said the pound has fallen so much we want you guys to raise prices in your stores by about 10% because things have gotten more expensive. Things that include imported ingredients have gotten more expensive. Um, Tesco said, no, we're not going to do that. We love our customers. We want to keep prices low. And this thing kind of leaked. It became a huge issue here because the Brits love Marmite. Um, And what essentially happened was products started disappearing from Tesco's website for about 36 hours, which drove people into a bit of a frenzy here. So you had some people stocking up on Marmite and, and selling it on eBay for like £100,000. I'm pretty sure that was a gag. Um, I passed somebody wow. else on the way home outside a Tesco hoarding a pile of Marmite and trying to sell it to people on their way home from work. So it became a pretty big deal here, and it was dubbed Marmite Gate. 
It's a, um, the, the Brits really love Katie. Brits it's really hard love to describe stuff. the level of attachment I have to this delicious pot, and it quite frankly doesn't matter whether it's the original that I'm holding or the squeezy version. Version even um, if this isn't on my breakfast tray, I'm pretty upset. It's it's pretty much an insult because this is all I want first thing in the morning. So so this becomes an issue of of, of national character. It's about sovereignty. This is about sovereignty. Yeah. Yes. it's it's similar for sort of things like PG tips. But it really is. I mean, Marmite is the original. It's just there's just nothing like it. I mean, Vegemite doesn't come close. People say Bovril is co- sort of okay. Would the Australians agree with that? I mean, I can say that because I the live line? there, but I mean, it's not the same. This is this really is. I mean, in the ingredients, you look at it, and it's got some really fabulous things in there, things that most people like would never have heard of before. But it's delicious. Why don't you try it, Paul? Right, I mean, like you it. can keep talking, I'm gonna, or you I'm can try, try it. it. And we'll bring in Mike Bird. I've never had this. I'm going to have a bite. So, of this Mike, the question I have is: if the if the British had known that Marmite could be at risk, <laughs> would they have voted space. for Brexit? <laughs> Can I'm, I just point I'm out? Not, oh, Paul! Paul oh. spread this Sorry. spread pretty thick. Oh I will God. say, Paul, really, what it's is not this? usually that thick. Oh, you didn't it tell is, me. <laughs> it is strong tasting. I would, oh. I would recommend a thin spread. No, it actually says <laughs> on the bottle. I thought it was going thin. It, it actually says on the bottle, bottle "spread thinly." Paul, wow, get a read. Ooh. Yeah, it's not like I mean, Nutella. I mean, you can't just like. Oh, I want to do give her some Nutella right now. now let, let, let's get Mike in. Yeah, Mike. Mike. I, oh, so this, this is a it's a pretty totemic product. Um, I know that uh, this is the the case with other products as well. Um, you've got things that that Unilever supplies Tesco with, like Ben and Jerry's. Um, which a lot of British people have become quite attached to. Oh, wow. well. um, I, I'm not sure people were expecting this. The, the polls before the referendum suggested uh, not a lot of people thought they would uh, see any direct financial impact on themselves, uh, whichever way the result went. And also talk about like how how surprised are sort of people at how far the pound has fallen because you know it. it you had the the flash crash what two weeks ago where it fell um, I think to like one thirteen right against the yep. dollar. I think that yeah the the scale of it has been pretty surprising and it's the fact that it's come down. Uh, I guess it came down in two legs: one immediately after the referendum and one after uh, Prime Minister Theresa May's speech a couple of weeks ago. Was that the flash crash one? Yeah, uh, that was the flash crash was shortly after that. It was in the week afterwards. Um, yeah, the the flash crash was amazing. The pound dropped, I think, six percent. Um, very very early Asian trading hours, so the market for sterling was probably very liquid. There were a lot of people talking about algorithms, but it's pretty shocking because this is the, you know a developed market currency. There's usually a lot of people trading. You know billions of dollars worth of it at any given moment and for it to drop so quickly is uh, is pretty worrying but it's sort of the first tremors isn't it really of like the impact of the of the purchasing power post brexit right like this is one of the more focused ways of seeing it play out yeah definitely i mean the the, the uk is a you know it's a consumer country we import a lot of food i think it's about 40 to 50% of the the food in the uk is imported um, you know, we've got a fairly big trade deficit. Um, so, you know, when the when the pound weakens, there's, there's probably more downside for the UK than there is uh, upside. And Unilever acted sort of across a lot of products, didn't it? Because um, I think that Marmite is actually made in a factory in the West Midlands 
which obviously, it if is. it's manufactured in and the UK, has less of a problem so for so import prices. So what is the issue that the, the ingredients well, are from overseas? Let's let Sarah get in. She no, can no. explain this. Marmite is made in the UK, but some of the packaging and some of the bottles that it's put into, basically not the product itself, but what the product comes in, some of that stuff comes from overseas. But, I mean, it definitely doesn't merit a 10% rise. I think what Unilever did was say, we're going to take price up by 10% across all our products on average. So, you know, some products will have fewer imported ingredients and some will have more, but they chose 10% as an average number, is my oh, understanding. Oh, okay. I, I got to tell you, the first bite of this made me cry. It was so like, <laughs> well, no, I mean, what, but, but I'm kind of getting used to it. I think I'm quickly getting used to it. What the listeners can't see and Mike and Sabra can't see is that after putting on a very thick layer Did I go thinner this time? <laughs> Marmite. And right. I'm, I'm starting to cry. Paul is so much thinner, <laughs> Paul, man. Paul is on an equally big... He's going this for a thin. second slice, guys. This is, uh, this is major. He's intrepid, I told you. You know what that I did, really which was very is. smart, was I did not eat lunch before this podcast. So that I ensured I'd be so hungry... That no matter how god awful I found this, I would still want to eat it. You you need you need to get into the groove of the smidge. I need something just to drink. like the smear. You don't want it just that thick. See, yeah. Americans don't do smidges, and so we put stuff on. Is it like peanut it's butter? On. Is it is a marmite to the UK like peanut butter is to I the mean, Americans? I think probably. Yeah, but peanut but butter. Even you more put so. a lot of peanut butter on a piece of bread. And, yeah. You know, all right, so I'm eating more Marmite. Grocery, you're eating the Marmite. What do you think of it? I, I've never been a fan. I mean, this is my first time. I lived in England for a while, yeah. so I'd had it there. I've never been a fan of Marmite or Vegemite. I don't understand the attachment to it that you know that our I friends have, have uh, <laughs> Katie Byrne. So, so what does what does the Marmite loving world do from here on out, folks? I mean, how, where where does this all go? Well, it's come back. That's the thing. Yeah. So Marmite is back on the shelves. This was kind of a brief, very public spat that I think wasn't necessarily meant to spill out into the open, and then it did. And obviously Unilever is having these conversations with all of its retailers, um, and you'll see other consumer goods companies having similar conversations with their retailers. But I think the upshot is prices are going to rise. You know, when and by how much remains to be seen. But I think quite quickly food prices will probably rise first, and then we'll see clothing prices rise after, just because of retailers' hedging policies. You can already see those um, producer prices, so prices for, for mm. businesses particularly, yep. um, have already started to rise. They feel the costs of imports first, and then they pass those on over a series of you know months. Sometimes it takes years for these things to feed through. Um, but eventually, you know, supermarket profit margins in the UK are actually not very uh, not very thick. Um, they'll have to pass most of these uh, costs on to consumers eventually. You saw that today in the data, right? The inflation data out of the UK? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, inflation in the UK at the moment uh, ran to 1% um, last month. Uh, that's 1% year on year. So it's pretty low for now. Um, whereas I think import prices for businesses uh, in August were, was something like up 9.5%. Um, now, I don't think anyone thinks that consumer price inflation will, will rise by that much. But we have a 2% inflation target like um, like the U.S., and I, I think a lot of people now expect that in the next couple of years that's going to that's gonna stray over target. Wow. Although, interestingly, so, in those numbers, food is still showing kind of deflation. So food yeah. prices have not actually risen. They've okay. fallen. So I think it'll be a little bit of time before food actually swings back to even being flat. 
and then pushes into inflationary territory. Um, wow, this stuff, it's clearing up my sinuses. I yeah, mean, it's, 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 Paul, Paul, Paul is really struggling here. So I'll ask you another question. Mike, what's the sort of outlook from here with uh, for the pound? I mean, what are people expecting as we get closer to the spring and the March and when they're talking about signing, you know, Article 50? Well, it's it's really interesting. We uh, there's there's been some problems in suggesting what a sort of fair value is for the pound. <clears throat> One of the normal ways that the analysts use to predict these things is um, is they look at interest rates, and if interest rates are, are high in one country relative to the other country, investors want to buy things in that country, and and the currency usually appreciates. That's a usual way of of looking at things, but it's sort of lost um, some of its uh, explanatory power. In the past couple of weeks, uh, investors are pricing in a lot of political risk. So, for example, uh, HSBC, Goldman Sachs, um, analysts at both those banks think the, uh, the pound will go into $1.20 by the end of the year. Um, there are a couple of people who think it could test towards parity one-to-one, um, which would be an enormous drop given that it's already yeah. fallen, coming on, you know, 20%. Yeah. Hey, let's, uh, let's take a quick break because we have to let – Katie and Sabra go. They both have things they have to cover. So I'm trying to get through this. Let's take a quick break, and we will come back. Uh, Yumi Grocer and Byrne will talk a little bit about this. So stay right there, folks. We will be back. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, this is Stephen Perlberg from the WSJ Media Mix podcast. Are you interested in the biggest changes in the media and advertising business from Facebook to Snapchat? Tune into the WSJ Media Mix podcast for interviews with some of the biggest names in media, from Gawker CEO Nick Denton to Turner President David Levy. For more, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome back to the Money Beat podcast, everybody. And listen, for more great podcasts, you can check us out. We are at wsj.com slash podcasts. Money Beat, obviously, your money matters. WSJ Opinion Tech News Briefing, a lot there for you to choose from. We are on Twitter. We are at WSJ Podcasts. And you can subscribe to all of these great products. We are uh, publications, podcasts, whatever you want to call them. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music app, and Spotify. And we are back here in the studio eating the British, what I call it a delicacy, Mike Bird, this Marmite. Is this a delicacy? Delicacy is probably a bit strong. Yeah, uh, like the Marmite uh, itself. A dark yeast spread would be a fair fair Eating the dark yeast spread Marmite, which is just, you know, has become a flashpoint in uh, the UK's post post Brexit life and and what has happened to the pound and how this is this is affecting people on their their breakfast nooks. Mike, are you a fan of Marmite? I am. I am. I do like Marmite. So you're you were explaining to us on the break that there's sort of a divide uh, around Marmite. Can you sort of explain that to us again? Definitely. I mean, there's a, there's a big divide. Um, as anyone who's ever tasted it can tell, it's it's pretty strong. Um, I think it's narrowly more people like it than hate it. But I mean, even Marmite plays this up itself in its advertising that it's a a sort of completely split thing that you either love or hate. 
So we have this saying here, which is that something is a Marmite issue, which is that, you know, you people either love or hate something. So the, the sort of irony of it is that uh, Brexit, leaving the EU in the first place, is, is already a Marmite issue. And it's now literally no, it's a li- Marmite yeah. issue. I'm, I'm I'm telling you, like watching Paul. Paul cannot stop eating it, even though his eyes are watering. Well, I'm telling you, so like, I, think I wasn't. He might actually be like falling for. I think Marmite. I could go. I think I could go for Marmite. I think I could go for it. Like I said, I didn't eat, I didn't eat lunch, so I'm I'm kind of hungry. This I was ensuring that I would want to eat this. But and uh, you spent all this money on the toast. So you, I spent you really it, well. Get the Wall Street Journal it. spent all the money on the toast. Thank you, Wall Street Journal. Uh, <laughs> nice on crumpets. It goes well. No, with well, crumpets. oh crump. Well, we did, we didn't know. We I went to the the Greek diner around the corner and got some. Asked them to toast up some bread for us. So that's what we're having it on. Uh, you know what I thought was interesting too is the fact that this becomes an issue for these huge multinational companies. I mean, Unilever is a giant food producer. Tesco is a huge retailer. And you can see usually these companies just eat whatever Forex, no pun intended, uh, they eat whatever Forex issues come upon them and they figure out something. But I mean, here, the whole thing just spilled out into the open. Well, I mean, this actually, something similar to this happened in in 2008-9. It's something particular to the British pound that whenever there's an economic shock pretty much anywhere in the world, um, the, the British pound weakens um, it can weaken a lot. It weakened by about, I think, 20 to 25%. So you're talking about a similar magnitude that it did uh, since Brexit. It weakened by the similar amount in 2008-9. That time around, a lot of retailers and big companies um, did just sort of eat the the change in uh, FX markets. There, there was a spike in inflation, but um, some of them took a sort of profit hit and lived with it. The thing now is that UK retailers have, we talk about it here quite a lot, been in a bit of a price war for the past few years. Um, You've got some smaller retailers, a couple of German retailers called Aldi and Lidl, that have really, really thinned out profits across the sort of industry as a whole. So these guys, you know, Tesco, uh, they they just don't have, uh, you know, they they can't eat the the foreign exchange hit. They, They don't have profits large enough to do it. Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. interesting. Yeah, I mean, you have that. I mean, you do have you know, I mean, pricing here. issues here, right? Right. You do. Have, I mean, look, Walmart, which is you know makes their 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 they'll they'll tell you every day of the week that they're the world's largest retailer. I mean, their entire business model is really predicated on on volume, on lowest prices and volume. I mean, they will cut to the bone. Yep. And have the thinnest margins. Well, it's also it's also like I mean, so but big. I mean, Walmart when it came in, and that puts pressure on everybody. Well, Walmart when it came into grocery stores has has done that to the same thing to grocery stores here in the U.S., right. which is like cut prices to the bone and and you know put margins and make you know grocery stores uh, you know a right. difficult um, you know business. And, and, and by the way, yeah. I had a I had a switch to a piece of bread that does not have the Marmite on it. I, I can't take anymore. It's, it's, <laughs> I think this I experiment's know. over for me. What is? The, oh, sorry. Go on. Go on, Mike. I was going to say. I guess the difference of the U.S. is. Uh, I mean, there is. It's a pretty closed economy, right? In terms of something oh, yeah. like food, I'm guessing most of the food that you buy and eat, you know, you've got a pretty massive agriculture sector. I think the um, only thing we don't grow in the U.S. is bananas. I mean, there you go. I, I can tell you that it would be uh, very difficult to find British-grown bananas, and if you did find them, you probably <laughs> wouldn't want to eat them. They would taste like Marmite. Um, yeah. 
So there are lots of parts of a sort of staple diet of yeah. British people that you, you simply can't buy, um, that, that can't be UK grown. Um, and so there is a lot of imported food and those prices are going to, they're going to feed through from yeah, the, the it, drop in the pound. It, it's funny because when you first said that, my gut reaction was, no, of course we're not a closed uh, you know, economy in terms of agriculture because you, know, you go to the supermarket and you see things from overseas. But yeah, when you think about it for a second, you're right. We, we do produce everything. Oh. Well, I mean, yeah. it's not just that. I mean, if you look at the S&P 500 companies and the level of their profits that they get from the U.S., I mean, you know, right. 70% of our profits of, for the, you know, the biggest companies, mm-hmm. the biggest companies, the multinational companies come yep. from the U.S. So, I mean, it does – that is one of the things that has sort of, you know, protected the U.S. over the years historically at least from some of the shocks that happen overseas. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's actually completely the opposite way around for the U.K., where our biggest companies, the, the FTSE 100, which is the UK's flagship equity index, only makes 30% of its revenues in the UK. Um, wow. So it's over, overwhelmingly international. You've seen British shares rise quite a lot since the Brexit yeah. vote um, as well, in part just due to the fact that, you know, your, your shares are denominated pounds. You earn euros, dollars, emerging market currencies, yen, whatever. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter so much to them what happens to the pound. And in fact, it can it can benefit them from making you know yep. exports cheaper, right? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, how do how what's the mood with Brexit right now um, in in the UK? Just to wrap it up here, um, it's it's interesting. I, I, it's difficult to speak too much of the mood, and that's partly because when you're based in London, as the Wall Street Journal's uh, UK offices are, you get yeah. a different mood about this than you do in the rest of the country. There's a really really clear regional split, London voted sort of heavily, some London boroughs voted sort of 75, 80% to remain. Um, and people don't like it. I think the financial sector generally, analysts don't like it. Investors seem not to like it. But obviously, you know, that's not true outside of London where, you know, almost everywhere else, um, in England anyway, people voted to leave. And I, I can only presume that they're, they're a little happier with the result than people in the capital are. Yeah. I mean, it's a very similar sort of situation we're facing as the election years in New York, where if you're in New York, you have a very... City versus you're, you're the country. Getting, yeah, you're getting a, you know... Yeah. Um, uh, last question, last question. Mike, what do I do with this stuff now? Do I have to refrigerate it? Do I put it on a shelf? Side? Like, how, how do you You don't. You don't have to refrigerate this. it. You don't. Um, as you can probably imagine from eating it, it does survive for quite a long time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I'm pretty sure that the recipe hasn't changed in like the hundred and something years since it was invented. Um, and it's designed to last. And, you know, you get quite a lot of... Um, Quite a lot of value for money. You don't need too much of it yeah. when you decide to. Uh, I'll tell you when the when the zombie apocalypse hits. I was going to say marmite. Well, Mike, you know, makes it across the Atlantic anytime soon. We'll, plenty we'll of still marmite. have it. Yeah, we'll still have it for you, Mike. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. well, right. we won't be able to get it here. So. Right, right. All right, Mike Bird. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for indulging us in these silly things we try to do for you. Sometimes uh, we hope you appreciate. We hope you like it. And if you didn't like it, you know what? We're not going to eat food on the next one, so don't worry about it. Uh, We will catch up with you soon. Thanks for listening. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com slash Claude.